Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This segment is brought to you by Jigmasters. Step up your game with high-quality performance jigs, spinner baits, buzz baits, and more from Jigmasters.com. And always, when in doubt, get the jig out. You're tuned in to Off the Water. I'm your host, JP. This is the premier source for all things to do after a long day of fishing. Chill out, grab a cold one, let's go explore what there is to do off the water. what is up everybody i'm your host jp welcome back to another episode of off the water today it's our part two segment of lake gunnersville but before we jump into that go ahead give this a big like give this a share let's start spreading the word man get the word out a little bit um i want to just take a quick moment because it is literally dawning around the corner and this is going to be huge. All right. Our paddle and fin trail series and clash of clubs on Dale hollow. I'm going to go ahead and put up the information right now and we'll go with just the Dale hollow event because that's the one that's coming up right now. But let's start here with the, uh, the clash of clubs all right so pop this up on the screen all right so clash of clubs down hollow lake all right 225 per team top five teams are paid all right 50 clubs if not more and we are now doing it to where you can send more than one team per club of three all right but let's look at this sweet little number here all right, this is the graph and payout here. I can't zoom in anymore on it. But um, but the payout, 
five grand. And then individual with the biggest bag wins the new canoe flint. If you're coming down just for the open, all right, first spot's paying out uh, almost, I think, close to, depending on how many people we get, you're looking at 3500 There's a lot of money on the line for this. Um, and then you get decked out kayaks, too. This is going to be an awesome, awesome event to come and just not only fish, but, I mean, who doesn't want the chance to win? And all this, all right. I, I think, uh, I think you'd be crazy not to sign up for it. And then going down the line, um, we do have the stops. I'm gonna pull that up right now for you guys too. So, Clash Clubs, the Open, the 24th, we make a stop on the Tip of Canoe in Winnemac, Indiana. Colorado Chain on May 15th. This is actually updated the 618 Madison Chain, Fox River on the 31st of July here in Illinois. Get ready for some fire smallmouth on that lake. Head over to Lake Erie. And then uh, the Invitational Lacrosse in September. So there's really nothing to sleep on on this. This is a... Uh, this is going to be big, man. There's going to be some money paid out. This is going to be a good time. If you have, if you want any information about it further along, just contact any of us at the Paddle and Thin Podcast, including myself, Brian, Jay. We're all here to answer your questions and help you guys get signed up for all of this. So let's go back. Yeah, the Clash Clubs and the Open. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be an awesome event. So I hope to see all you guys down there, but now that that's out the way, let's get down to Alabama, man. Whoo. All right. Let me drink my coffee because we got a lot to go over. All right. So let's start with the trip itself. All right. Getting down there. Left here, Chicago, it was snowy. It was like 20 degrees. It was just, ugh. oh, man, all that snow. I was like, it better be gone by the time I get back. So I will say this. Um, if any of you who are listening have driven I-65 going through Indiana, it is boring. I mean, when I say boring, it is boring. Um, there's not much to look at. There's Jesus loves you on one side, strippers on the other, and then the sex toy shop in between. That's all that's out there. <laughs> Let's be real. This is what you see on the highway. Okay. But once you got over, crossed over into Kentucky. Um, for those who don't know, I so before any of this, I, I'm a musician. I play guitar. I've been playing guitar since I was 11. Uh, songwriter, uh, producer, I've done it all throughout the course of high school and some college. Um, and one thing that I felt was very um, unique, if you guys have never listened to Tyler Childers, Check them out, number one. But number two, 
there's a new album by him called Long Violent History. And it is a bluegrass Appalachia composition. And being that uh, Mr. Chillers is from Kentucky, driving through the hills and driving through the entire setting puts yourself in the artist's mind in his creative work when he was composing this album. It was one of the coolest experiences, not only with the music in the background, but you don't really often get to see the hills covered in snow. And then going through the, uh, going through the rocks itself, all the ice jams and icicles that were formed, it was quite the scene to be had. It was awesome. Um, so making your way, get to Nashville. And <laughs> again, another place that really doesn't see snow. And there's a car from Florida on I-24. Florida license plate just off to the side of the road, buried. Oh, man, I was like, you know, being from Chicago, we get snow all the time. I mean, that's that's winter. It's cold and it snows here. Um, I can't wait to move south because I hate it, but that's that's the reality. It snows and it's cold here all the time. So people don't really abandon up and abandon their cars like that. And here's this car sitting on the side of the road with a Florida license plate. So I thought that was kind of ironic and funny, but you know, it is what it is. Um, but finally got into um, down, you know, down towards Chattanooga. Man, just it's always going down there. It's beautiful. Got off on I-24, then started heading what would be southwest on um on 74, Highway 74. And man, just that entire highway encompasses all the north end of Lake Gunnersville of Guntersville. So got there that night. And stood in, uh, so where my cabin is, is in Scottsboro. Um, Scottsboro, now looking up the history, is quite, there is quite a history to it. Um, so let's dive into that a little bit, just to kind of give a background um, of the lake and of the town itself. So Lake Gunnersville, we'll start there. Lake Gunnersville is actually the Tennessee River with the Nickajack Dam to the north and Gunnersville Dam to the south or the upper and lower ends of the lake um, if you're looking at the technicality of it. Now, what makes this unique to me and to fishing here in the Midwest versus fishing in the mountains. So when someone says, or when you look at a map and you see the word creek, all right, what comes to mind is an actual like little stream that flows in. To us here, that's a creek. A creek down there is an entire lake. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding, kind of. But 
it spans for miles. So what happened was the Tennessee River needed room to expand and grow. So uh, Tennessee TVA, what they did was, or I'm sorry, TWA, what they did was they pretty much bought land and shelled it out. So that way streams that were actually in the mountains had a place to run off and it wasn't flooding anymore. And so as that water pools, you, you know, again, you, we had rain and they had snow. So all that water was coming. Think of like a plant, like a plane. All right. So everything comes and dumps into the Tennessee river itself, which is the main lake, if you will. But there's a lot of smaller parts to the river or bigger, depending on how you look at it, that run all that pretty much run from the mountains down. And the easiest way to describe this is that these areas are, they have current to them. So there's always a current. It's not as fast as the current in the main lake or the river. Um, but it's always, water's always being pulled away. So definitely unique fishing because you're you're playing around with different currents and what would seem to be still water, even though there is pretty much a current going through it. Now, the other thing I've learned is that uh, TWA will pull water in a very anticipating way. So, for example... One day I was out on the main river or on the main lake and I could go upstream with my trolling motor at about three and a half, four miles per hour. I have a weed guard prop, so it does slow down my, my rate of speed. But nonetheless, I was going about average speed uh, against the current. The following day, with the anticipation of rain and floods, they started, TWA started pulling water and raised the current. I'm talking when I was trying to go upstream from one spot to another, I think the fastest I could get out of my trolling motor in the current was two. And that's a significant change. That's That flow is a significant heavy flow. Now, let's put these two factors together. They're pulling water, water's flowing, water's flooding. What happened down there that happened up here? They got that snow and cold too. So, unfortunately, I had horrible timing going down there because what was building to be a great week, Mother Nature had other plans. That water temperature prior to me arriving down there and that winter snowstorm was in encroaching on 50 degrees. It should have been 50 degrees plus by the time I got down there. Well, that winter storm drew that water down back into the 40s and 30s. So now these fish were, they were locked jaw. They were thrown off because at first they're moving, moving. Boom, it gets cold. They move back and they hold tight. But as much as I did not get the big bass that I wanted that Garnersville is known for. 
At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. I was confident and I had my confidence built as an angler in the patterns I was putting together. I caught fish. And if you go to my Instagram, Four Star Fishing, you will see, and I'm posting pics every day from this trip. So please follow and follow along to kind of see how the journey uh, went based upon a photographic record. But putting it together, a pattern did equal fish in the boat. Awesome. Tournament wise, I mean, depending, I mean, what, you know, if you look at the tournaments that were going on between there, the Hobie uh, BOS series at Watts Bar, which is two dams north in Knoxville. And then if you look at Bassmasters, who were actually in Knoxville on the Tennessee River, um, you know, offshore smallmouth were the key what were being caught. But largemouth, there was no real size being caught because of the weather conditions that had impacted this entire river system. But nonetheless, put together a pattern, fish were caught, made limits for tournaments. It was, you know, I felt good about it. And as an angler, it gave me a little, you're doing good. Yeah, you're not catching a ton, but you're catching fish on a pattern. And that confidence boost just makes me ready for when our thaw out starts here which it's pretty much in the beginning stages to happen now so fishing back home locally i i feel a lot more confident in my skill set as angler and how things are going to go based upon my trip down there so let's talk about the trip so day one went out did a little bit of exploring um you know the exploring i, I exp- now Unless you go to my Instagram and you start looking, you really, really are trying to dig hard. All right. A lot of the spots I went to were given to me by a buddy. Hey, I recommend you go here. Hey, I recommend you go there. I'm not going to openly give up where I went. I'll give you a general idea, but I'm not going to say, hey, I went to X, Y, and Z because, you know, this this buddy entrusted me and I'm not going to tell and give up like that. Just plain and simple. Um, though some of the spots I did find on my own and they correlated together where he told me to go and what I had found just by my own doing. But again, on the podcast and in general, I'm not going to give up those spots. All right, someone's entrusted me with it, so we're going to leave it at that. So the first night, though, I was in Scottsboro, so I went to the closest launch. Um, Launch there, kind of just got a feel for the lay of the land. Uh, Again, it is shallow. Um, Depending on where you're at, you know, there's different types of vegetation. 
but water was still pretty stained. Um, you know, you couldn't really see it wasn't truly chocolate, uh, chocolate milk, but it, it had been flowing pretty good prior to me arriving there. And you can tell just based upon the clarity of the water tossed around, got a couple bites, one in the boat, nothing, nothing crazy. So went back, got everything in order at the cabin, which was an awesome stay there. Shout out to Woody's. Um, that was very, uh, very good experience there. Um, you know, two bedroom. I had one bedroom to sleep in, the other one to charge all my batteries and fishing gear in. So that was really cool. Um, but all the amenities, you know, everything was good. Day two, um, went to my next, excuse me, I went to my next location. Now, the next location I went to, um, it was, <laughs> when I say fishing is all they do down there, I mean, it's 9 o'clock in the morning, and every stall at the boat ramp is filled. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, I was able to get a spot, but, you know, coming around back and looking at that launch, oh, my God, everybody was there. So, fish this area, very... uh yeah, the, the layout, and it, I was live with it for a little bit, but the layout, it, it was pretty simple. Um, kind of what I'm like used to fishing back home here. Um, reminded me a lot of like the Desplaines River. Um, not as moving as fast, but, you know, just the way the layout was. A couple bridges, but the thing that really threw me for a loop was when I went under one of the bridge one side calm super calm once you got past the bridge it was turbulent it was flowing i had a hard time just staying positioned but again use that to my advantage that wind was pushing bait fish and i was catching fish wasn't anything massively big 12 to 14 inches but fish were being caught and, uh, you know, you've put that pattern together using, uh, you know, down there. It's no secret. The big color right now is fire crawl. Anything that's in red and orange is going to catch. And majority of my fish had come on fire, uh, fire crawl color lures, including jackhammers and uh, crankbaits. So caught some fish, trying to stay in position. It, it was, even with spot lock, you held but fighting that wind was horrible. And again, what blows my mind is that that side of the bridge, you know, it is what it was. Wind was chugging, current was flowing, you know, it was white capping. Once you go to the other side of the bridge, it's the same layout. There's nothing truly like different from it. And it's calm water. I don't think I'll figure it out, but, it blew my mind and you know, it is what it is, but, uh, you know, finished up the day with five. So fish were caught. Cool. Came on back to the ramp and went about my business for the rest of the day and night. And we'll get to, we'll get to the off the water stuff here in a little bit, but I got to continue going telling you how fishing went down there. So, 
the uh, set or now what would be third day, but the second true day of fishing. I went to actual town of Gunnersville and I put in um, at a spot um, where Hank, and this is known, but Hank Cherry caught his uh, big bass at the Classic last year in this spot. Now, this is going to be a testament to um, not only Old Town, but to uh, the battery I'm running, which is an amp. Now, I'm not knocking anything else out there. I know, you know, the animal is, is out there, um, you know, there's up there's brands. I just happen to have amp, but retracing my route and following all that distance that I fished that day, I did 13 and a half miles. That's using spot lock. That's running back and forth. Um, I did a lot. I covered a lot of water. And unfortunately, as much water as I covered, boop. Goose egg. Nothing. Not a damn bite that day. Oh, man, I was. Not only was that not a damn bite, but I got tore up from that sun. And I thought, you know, here's the thing. I'm in the sun a lot. But I never got. I think it was a combination of wind and sunburn together. Because my ears were burnt. Obviously, you could see kind of like, yeah, you could kind of see it over here where my sunglasses were. I got the, I got the coon eyes and all that, you know, the raccoon eyes from where my sunglasses were and the marks. But my ears, I didn't, I, I was like, man, what, what happened to my ears? My ears were so burnt just from the sun and the wind. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't think I was going to need any kind of buff. Well, <laughs> I thought wrong. So after striking out, went back to the launch, got everything packed up, went about my way. The next morning I stopped at shout out to Scottsboro tackle, uh, company. Um, I stopped at Scottsboro tackle and got myself <laughs> Um, a boss buff that was out there, <laughs> Sam Jones, what's up? Um, but got a boss buff and, um, uh, you know, paid $12 for it when I have like 80 back home. But, um, but yeah, I quickly learned that that sun and wind together and my skin was not, it was not having it. So that brought some that did remedy the day of wearing wearing that uh boss buff and you know keeping your skin protected. Um in all honesty, I mean I I didn't realize it was that bad. I don't know what's changed within my skin over you know from last season to now, because I never get like that, but it was kinda kinda an eye opener. So uh wear your protection out on the water because your ears will thank you later. So um, this next day, so where I launched at this next day was 
probably my favorite place in all honesty of the entire trip. Um, and it was only my favorite because one, the boat launch here wasn't big. So it was when I got there, there was one boat that was already launched. And, you know, once I came back later on that evening, it was two, uh, it was myself and two other boats. Unlike the other launches um, that are heavily, heavily populated, people going in and out, this, the stress of not have, you know, of not having to wait for boats or, you know, you want to fish around, you know, that gave me the advantage to fish all the way uh, to dusk till pretty much there was no more light and I couldn't see what I was doing. But with that said, I launched here um, and started fishing, you know, this area. Um, this time around, though, I was spot hopping. In order to go to my next spot, I had to cross the river. And, man, that day, so this is the day I told you they started pulling, and I couldn't get up above two miles per hour going up. So I said, to hell with it. I'm going to just fish the bank and put try to put a pattern together. Sure enough, put a pattern together. Nothing crazy big. Um, got a few um, coming off a chatterbait. A uh, few on a jig, too. Jig bite was good with that as well. And what was nice about this bank was it dropped off. It was a pretty steep drop off. So everything, they were kind of tuckered away on that ledge right there. Um, so once that fell right there, if there was any kind of um, log or pylon that was sticking out, um, they were holding the structure. And rightfully so, they're holding it to the bank because this river's pushing. So technique fit, you know, tossing jig. Didn't really get anything on the crankbait there. Um, jig and a chatterbait are what got them that day. But moved up into into the spot I was going to and I was still throwing the chatterbait in this spot and the water was what would be considered murky not ultra clear clear but enough to where you can only maybe see about a foot down so fire crawl jackhammer being thrown um, two foot of water you got uh, sporadic grass throughout the area back here. And watching all of a sudden out the shadows comes this bass. And he wasn't a true giant, but he was bigger for this trip. I you know what? I'm gonna be um I'm gonna be on the lighter side of it. I'm gonna say he was probably three or four pounds. Could he have been bigger? Sure, but I'm going with three or four. Just based of just eyeballing him, wasn't as you know, again, wasn't a monster bass that came lurking out the depths, but definitely would was a good kicker fish. And just watched him, he swam all the way to my kayak, following that chatter bait back. I even did a little figure eight by the boating, just looked right at it. Then he said, Nope, and turned around, went boop, right back into the murky water. Saw him. But nice to actually catch him, but he was there. So, yeah, he showed himself. But again, the expectation, you know, it's cold. That water was probably only in the, the upper 40s, maybe near 50. Um, 
in some of the spots further back. But kind of picked that area apart and decided to come back down. Um, and then coming back downstream with the with the water pulling. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Dude, I got over, I think I was like at five and almost close to like six on the speed of my kayak going downstream. Um, you know, I, I'll be out, and there were some videos that I posted on Snapchat and stuff like that that had that water pulling and me going down, and it shows you, you know, that, you know, the rate, and it was fun. It was, I got back to, back to the spot where I put in at a lot faster than I anticipated, but again, all good timing. Um, so when on, uh, when I'm back and fish that area to the sun went down and then when the sun went, first I stopped, started throwing a crankbait, uh, school of bait fish and a channel marker, um, just all over started kind of just trying to peel apart that area through throwing crankbaits, throwing, uh, chatter bait, throwing a jig, anything to get a bite close to that school if there was something stacked up there. But there was no luck on that school of bass. Or I'm sorry, of that school of uh, bait fish from bass biting. So continue to move on down. And let me tell you, the magic of when the sun like was setting over that those mountaintops. I don't know what it was. All of a sudden, three in a row. And again, guys, probably i i didn't really take the board out to measure because i just wanted to keep fishing again not in a true tournament but i'd give them anywhere between 14 and 16 inches is probably where the average size fish were coming off but again that night you know once that sun was going down they started just slamming and there's guys fishing at the shore who were catching too and you know these bass were just there must have been that Whatever was that shad was that was over there must have migrated their way here because these bass were just busting the water and just slamming our chatter baits as we were throwing them out. So it was a good time, good good catching on. You know, again, nothing massive, nothing big, but just still fun to catch. Um, loaded up the kayak and again went about my way. So the next day, this is the last day to catch a big bass. And going to catch this big bass, um, you know, I'm really, at this point, I, I know that the potential is there, but the odds are low. I mean, let's let's face it, cold water, there's a warming trend, but it's not, it just, it, it wasn't the kick that really needed to be. That, that lake, or the whole lake itself, Gunnersville, honestly, right now is probably primed up where I was anticipating it to be when I went down there is probably where it's at right now. But you know what? I got to go fishing with one of our hosts, Jimmy Skinner. 
And man, did we have a blast. I mean, come on. You're down there. Of course, you're fishing, but you're just having a blast. Just BSing the day away. Just talking about the ins and outs, you know, life and podcast life and fishing life and home life. And, you know, really, again, because I'm in Chicago and he's down there. We don't get to talk like that. And, man, it was just so cool just to just to go and decompress and just hang out with it, man. Awesome guy. Jimmy is a hell of a stand-up guy, you know. And getting to know him on a personal level was awesome. Um, you know, I thank him for the day, taking me to some of his spots and getting putting another pattern together. You know, everything was reaction bite. Um, that day, everything I caught on a crankbait and that bite turned off. <laughs> All right. After like noon, forget about it. I, you, nothing was happening. You know, it was, you were fishing. You were literally fishing. <laughs> Because nothing was biting. Nobody around, nobody was getting anything. But still, nonetheless, man, we we enjoyed ourselves. We had we had a ball. And you know, that that was the last day of fishing. Um, you know, headed home uh that Friday. So on my way home, stopped at the world's slowest cracker barrel. <laughs> but there is a request for uh from the from the missus for a um, couple t-shirts, which in Scottsboro and itself and even Gunnersville, they're not very touristy. Like, for example, like Wisconsin Dells or like Lake Geneva. I know these are Wisconsin cities I'm using, but they have like the little touristy place that has like Lake Geneva or Scottsboro written on it. Um, they didn't have that, so I just kind of figured uh, there'd be some kind of Alabama um, merchandise at um, Cracker Barrel, and there was. So I uh, made my little stop, had some breakfast, and made my way back home. But we're off the water, baby. This is what this podcast is all about. So let's talk about off the water in the history and how this came about. So give you a little history on the lake, right? Told you how fishing went on the lake. Now, let's go ahead and talk about the area I was in, Gunnersville and Scottsboro. Uh, let me get a little sip of coffee here. All right. It is story time. So, Scottsboro. Um, the first thing that I noticed coming into the town... Aside, you know, aside from the obvious, you know, you look at, you know, whatever's there. But the biggest thing that I saw was there was a railroad crossing with no railroad tracks. I'm like, what? Like, I'm just, I, I was kind of baffled. I'm like, what in the hell? Um, so it was time for me to do some investigating. And rejog my memory so scottsboro is the epicenter of what's known as the scottsboro uh boys the nine boys multiple names but 
the incident that had occurred uh, back in the 1900s, I want to say it was 1920s around, was there were nine black um, boys because their age ranged from anywhere from 15 to like 22 who were on the Chattanooga Charleston train line. And for those who are not familiar with that, it's just a rail, it's just a rail um, way that goes from Chattanooga to Charleston, South Carolina. So the stop was in Scottsboro. And these boys were riding the train. And there were two women on that train, two white women um, or girls. They're around the age of 18 from what history says. And again, if, if any of this, if you have more information on this and you're listening and, and if there's something I messed up, please feel free to correct. I'm going based upon what I remember reading of this. So long story short, these nine men, boys, were falsely accused of rape of these two white women. Um, two people in the town, two white men in the town, uh, told the uh, the women that they had to you know lie and say that these men had actually uh, raped them. This gets drawn into one of the major changes in the judicial system. Um, and what happened is that over the course of, I want to say all the way up until 1950s, so 30-something years, um, these nine gentlemen were acquitted, but they were actually on death row for this. The flaws in the legal system were brought up because of this case. Um, defense attorneys, the, these men were poor. They didn't, they were riding on the train to try to get to a city to make a better life for themselves. So they had nothing. And this, the, the defense, when we when we talk about having a defense attorney, um, or when you hear in court, if you cannot provide yourself an attorney, one will be appointed for you. This is kind of the the case that brought this to light um, because there was no representation for these nine uh, for these nine guys. So it was up to um, you know lawyers who were willing to take this case on to defend these guys. Long story short, they were, again, they were all acquitted of all charges. And um, the judicial system itself now uh, where you see, you know, where um, the defense versus the plaintiffs um, representation and substantial and sustaining evidence brought into play. Um I also found out too that this is the this is the case that actually was the um, background or foreground to my cousin Vinny uh, in the same manner as well. So there didn't really know that history, and until I actually thought back when I actually took um, it was it was called um, 
Oh, what was the class I used to take? Uh, as my senior year of high school. Um, pretty much it was, it was court. It like, we did mock trial and we learned, we learned, now I remember learning about this case after it jogged my memory. But again, one of the cases that really set forth, um, how our judicial system is brought together. And in the actual town of Scottsboro itself, there's a, uh, memorial dedicated to this. So again, big piece of history, um, you know, right, right there um, in Scottsboro. So you got that. Uh, what else about Scottsboro that I learned? Uh, it's not so how this town was established back in the day was uh, based upon political, uh, just like anything else. But what's really interesting is that there's a, was there there's a ghost town and it's called Bella Fontaine. Now Bella Fontaine is actually where the Bella Fontaine power plant is, which is non-operational. Yes, not there's two nuclear reactors, there's two cooling towers, it's all there, but never had it been has it ever been activated. Bella Fontaine was a ghost town. Um, it was actually thriving. They had a population close to a thousand people back in the 1800s. So 1800s is quite a bit. But what happened was Scottsboro pretty much was drawing the lines out of where they wanted to be and expanding. And uh, people were moving to Scottsboro uh, faster. And then it only wound up being like 10 people in the town who left afterwards and just abandoned the town. So ghost town known as Bella Fontaine, which is pretty cool that, you know, I mean, it's right there. We were trying to get it off the water, but it, it's hard to kind of actually get to where it used to be. I know Jimmy was kind of pointing in the area where it was. So that's a cool little fact for that. Um, Gunnersville itself is, um, you know, it, it's probably – in comparison to places I've been, I would actually compare Guntersville, the town, to let's say, oh, where's a good place? I've been? It's it's a small up and coming town. So let's say Lake Geneva. I mean, it is what it is. It's not as quaint. It's a lot more expanded, but. On the outside of it, you have a lot of, um, you know, your, your your grocery stores, your WalMarts, everything else, and it's nestled in the mountain, um, you know, down at the base of it. And then, you know, you have lots of boat launches, lots of parks along the waterways. It's a very, very, very nice town. Um, definitely, again, not only for the fishing, but you know, it, it it's a very Nice place to kind of hang around. Same with Scottsboro. Scottsboro is a very small, you know, on the outskirts, you have, you know, Walmart, food, everything else. But you have like a town square in the center of town where Scottsboro Tackle was. Kind of like most comparison locally is downtown Frankfurt. So, um, but every I have not one bad thing to say about anybody down there because everyone was very nice. Everyone was pleasant to you. Everything, I mean, <laughs> it's so 
crazy the mentality and and the difference you get down there versus where we are in the you know in, in Chicago. So very nice to have that um, home welcoming fill. Let's talk food, man. Um, <laughs> so just saving time. I cooked breakfast every morning while I was at the cabin. It was just easier that way. Um, but the first night and then on the water itself, I ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I wasn't coming off the water until that sun was down. So, um, can't really give you like a breakfast and lunch review cause I made it myself. And if I'm reviewing my own food, it's damn good. <laughs> but dinner time, uh, the first night went to a, what would be considered a chain restaurant that is to like the Tennessee, Alabama Valley area called Jefferson's. And that was in Scottsboro. Very good food. Waitress was very awesome. Um, I remember her name. It was Rachel. And I only remember because it was close to closing time. And I had walked out to go to my truck to leave and I forgot my food to go. Went back in. They had gotten rid of the food. Um, and I wasn't going to be that guy. Like, oh, I want a new one right now. I, it was on me. I forgot my food. She was kind enough to go, hey, if you stop in during the week, I'm here all week. We'll we'll call it even. Okay. So I kept that in the back of my mind. Went back to the cabin. I had stopped, got, some, you know, got the groceries to make the food. Picked up a couple local craft brews there which uh, were awesome, uh, and we'll get to that in a minute. But um, but then that was Sunday. So Monday, kind of did a little bit of switch up here um, just because of location-wise of where things were at. Uh, Monday, I wound up going to Toro's Catina. And, you know, <laughs> here's the thing. I am very, very blessed to have authentic Mexican food at the snap of my finger like that. And no way is it a knock to Toros because I, I thought the food was tasty. However, I'm used to food being prepared a certain way. And it was funny because, like, when you get salsa or like here, if it's not fiery, like within the first bite, it's like, okay, that's not real salsa around here. So like, <laughs> I took a bite of the salsa with the chip for the first round. I'm like, this is very pasty. It doesn't really have like, it had like a kick, like giving it like a two. So I asked and I asked the bartender, I go, Hey ma'am, uh, do you happen to have, um, anything spicier? She's like, oh, we have a little recipe in the back. Yeah, yeah, let me bring it to you. So I bring out another salsa. Take a bite with that chip. And I'm like, she's like, is it hotter? It's maybe like a three. <laughs> she's like, what? You know, she's like, I'd be sweating if I was eating that. I'm like, it's, it's not that hot. <laughs> You know, it's just it's just different. It ain't you know it ain't a knock on anything. It's just different. So I enjoyed I enjoyed what I had. I uh I got enchiladas that day, 
And, uh, you know, they, hey, man, they were good. They were tasty, and green sauce was not, like, terry. It wasn't really spicy, but it was tasty, man. It was different. So, shout out to Toros. Uh, let's see. So, that was Monday night. Now, Tuesday. It's a little different here because it switched it up just because I was in Gunnersville. Now, the run between Gunnersville and Scottsboro is about half an hour, depending on where you're at. So this next restaurant was a recommendation from our host, Dan Perry, and it was called Papa Du Bois. Uh, it was uh, Cajun food. Oh, my gosh. Now, not a knock on the other two, but, you know, when you, <laughs> when you want some good food, now, we got some good Cajun up here. Don't get me wrong. But when you're down in the south, man, whoo, it is delicious so they had a pick three sampler you had and i i wanted to pick up uh jambalaya red beans and rice and gumbo all three were great but the red beans and rice oh my gosh that was to die for man that was so good i mean it, it just was it was made perfect <laughs> so red beans and rice were awesome and then uh you know, moving moving forward uh, to the next day, I actually went back to Jefferson's. Um, I only did it because where I was fishing, I, you know, there was a lot of chain food restaurants there. This was kind of somewhat like down home, localish, so it was a lot kind of better an option. But I did go back to Jefferson's, and they kept their word. They for so the food I forgot, they gave right back to me, and. Um, you know, that's awesome. You know, they stood by what happened. They stood by their name and stood by their promise. So I, anytime anyone's going down there, I'm always giving them a recommendation to go to Jefferson's. So awesome food down there. Um, then the next day, uh, let me tell you, you want some down-home cooking? Mud Creek Barbecue. Me and Jimmy, uh, we went there for lunch. Oh my gosh, man! You know, I, and it was fast, but like, dude, the hush puppies that were made—I mean, everything was made with love. But man, it's just the pork was good. It, it just there was nothing bad with that menu at Mud Creek Barbecue. So definitely give that a check when you're back down there. When you're down there, if you go there at all, and then that night we went to Docks. Or the docks, which is at Goose Pond. Um, and I wound up getting the uh, chef special, which was shrimp and grits. And, man, they put a nice touch on it with the andouille sausage inside of the uh, grit with it. Very good meal. And, uh, like I said, didn't have anything, nothing bad whatsoever. Again, it's a little different with the, uh, with the can you know, with uh, the cantina. But... Hey man, that's their style. That's their style. You can't knock them for it. So it was, ta it was tasty. So overall, food um, out of five, you know, if you had to take all of it together, uh, I give it a, I give it a three and three quarter stars all together. Um, you know what could have been different. You know, again, it was chain. You had some chain food, different way of cooking, but. Um, 
there's there's gems down there that you can find that you know um that you know if you have the time to keep on going i'm sure there's a lot more so that's my review for the food now let's go to the beers that i had down there now i didn't get to go to any breweries down there and the only thing that they had was um main channel brewing but the problem with that was by the time I got there, it was closed. So everything closes quite early if you are not on top of uh, – if you're not on top of it, it closes pretty, pretty fast. So got to gotta get get it while it can. But I had a lot of different local taps. So I'm going to start off. I'm just going off right here. Oop, here's the camera. Off of my untapped. Um, some of the beers I had. This was the Parish Brewing Company, Ghost in the Machine. Um, Terrapine Brewing, the uh, hops, hops executioner. Actually, that was pretty tasty. I like that one. Um, this one was probably my favorite. One of my favorites the whole time down there was uh, Goat Island Brewery. This was Blood Orange Berliner Weiss, and it literally tastes like a James Cole. Awesome, awesome. Uh, straight to Ale, uh, Brother Joseph Belgian uh, Double. Gave that a four. That was pretty tasty for a Bach. Now, here's one that surprised me. All right. In a great way. This was when I was at uh, Papa Du Bois. This was, um, this was the main channel brewing. So this is the one that's local to Gunnersville. It's called an Amber. I don't know. Most beer drinkers think of Amber. You think of the blonde, you know, like a blonde ale. This was actually a dark body um, red ale, and it was awesome. It was super tasty. Had That was probably one of my favorites down there, uh, if not my favorite. Uh, also had a mountain lager from Blackberry Farm Brewery. That was pretty tasty. Had AOK IPA. Good stuff. Had a yingling. Had to. Uh Cheating Heart IPA had that as well. Um, that's from Yellowhammer Brewing. That one was pretty decent. Uh, and that is it. Unless I'm lying to you. Yeah, I take that back. Straight to Ale. This was the Monkey monkey or Not. Um, and I gave that four and a quarter rating. That was a pretty tasty IPA as well. Um, there's two other cans that I brought home with me, and Olivia and her friend Kim drank them, so I can't tell you what those two were rated. Um, but nonetheless, very good beers. Um, you know, and that, oh my God, that's a lot of beers. Well, actually, no, it was a beer a night. This trip, I, I there was no go and get wasted and, you know, none of that, man. I... The overall purpose of this trip was to disconnect, decompress, and just kind of get right, man. Get right with uh, spiritually, get right mentally, kind of get away from the, when I say a lot that's been happening here, it was a lot. So I run away from my problems? Absolutely not. I, my, you still got to deal with it. Look at right now I'm waiting on, a, I'm waiting on a phone call from the mechanic right now to go get my truck that just got a brand new transmission problems are still here problems have to get solved but 
for that time, it was nice just to get the mental clarity I needed. Um, so, you know, we usually talk about vineyards and other things to do. Um, you know, if you listen to the last episode, those were all there. Um, I didn't really dabble too much into those. However, you know, I, uh, I will say the, the stop in Scottsboro itself was awesome. Definitely worth checking out the stop in Gunnersville. Um, just even driving around Gunnersville, driving around the lake. It's man, it's nice. <laughs> um, scenes everywhere. So there you have it. That's it. No mas. That's it. That's all you're going to get about Gunnersville from this episode, at least. But what I need you to do is you see that little banner scrolling across is four star fishing on Instagram. Follow that because that's going to be giving you the picture document or the photo documentary of how this trip went. All right. So guys and gals until next time, I will see you off the water. Peace. And Remember, sign up for our Trail Series event. Yes, the Open on Dale Hollow and the teams. Yep, you got it. You know what I'm talking about. Get signed up. See you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle and Finn. Don't forget to go check out our website at Paddle, the letter N, and Finn.com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at Paddle and Finn. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at Paddle, the letter N, and Finn at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paddle and Finn on Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to our show supporters, Angler, the Angler Button, and app just makes for a better time on the water and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water. Shout out to Rocktown Adventures, located in northern Illinois, for all your kayaking, camping, and hiking needs. Shout out to Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com. Oh, you're still here, huh? The broadcast has ended. But... We know you like doing things off the water. So in two weeks, why don't you turn tune back into off the water and see where we're gonna be next. Till then. Toodaloo. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm old there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.